Hello, Wall. Welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 412, and today we'll be talking about escaping expulsion from the Owl House. I'm GC13. And I'm Sorin. So, uh, I have actually, I've writ- written out a little episode synopsis that I can read through right now. Ooh. Cause, cause it's kind of a long one, and there's a lot of, like, details that are important that, like, if you did not watch this episode right before we recorded, you can have no clue what we're talking about. So, in this week's episode, Amity gets in trouble with her parents for not throwing a fight with an abomination robot that her parents are trying to sell to a private audience. In retaliation, her mother, Odalia, has Luce, Willow, and Gus expelled from Hexide because they are, quote, a distraction. Luce makes a deal with Odalia to reverse this, and in exchange, she will throw the fight in Amity's place. Amity, Gus, Willow team up to save Luce from getting killed by the Abomination because Odalia was just going to kill her. Very evil genie of her. Yeah, and successfully throw the fight in front of the audience, allowing the three back into Hexide. With Alidor's persuasion. Yeah, exactly. They She was going to go back on the deal, but Alidor has a little moment. However, the Golden Guard scoops in and buys all of the abominations for the Emperor instead. In our B-plot, Ida and Lily try and learn the glyphs that Luce has taught them, and they discover glyph combinations, which is pretty significant and... And trademarks to Lilith. Trademarks to Lily, yet really it's only Luce that is using this. Like, Luce becomes way more powerful from... The stuff, but then Lily and Ida, like, don't bother with that much anymore. You see, Lilith only trademarked the name glyph combinations. She <laughs> didn't patent the glyphs, so she gets nothing. But she doesn't even use them. I mean, even if Luce gets the rights to use them or whatever, I would like to see more people than just Luce using the combinations. Especially since Lilith showed a real understanding of how they worked. Yeah, that was cool. Like, they're definitely setting up, like, they're not just throwing stuff to the wall with, like, haha, it's magic. It, you know, it works because it's magic. Like, the creators are very intentionally trying to set up, like, a magic system. Like, mmm, we want a new card game level stuff. They even spent the time having Ida mention that there are different types of spell phlegm in the bile sack. Yeah, like, another little subtle kind of world-building thing that, like, Ida is powerful because of her knowledge, right? It's the knowledge of all the different types of magic and how they work together that um, make her so powerful, not just the fact that she had a working bile sack, which, of course, she does not anymore. And, of course, the uh, crazy wild witch wants to just, you know, let's, let's try some random stuff with these glyphs and see what happens. I mean, she was onto something, she just kept on insisting on doing it the same way, which is like, come on, Ida, you know you're better than this. Like, I guess she was trying to experiment with it in the same way that she understood how magic worked, and she was, like, misapplying it, and that's where she was, like, not understanding it. But she stuck with that exact same strategy for quite a while. The KO method of problem solving again, we're going to... Uh, exhaust a single alternative rather than looking for alternate solutions. The the weird ice tumor that she created would be a great spell to use, right? It's like a trap you can set up and just ruin any room that you put it in. And you have the antidote for it, so like you can stop it if it gets too out of hand. But it would be great, like you're trying to cause a distraction. That would be great. They should have used that in the day of unity that big all-consuming ice spell like Hmm. they probably not that many people would have been hurt 
Well, Bellos would have been able to fix the problem pretty quickly. Maybe. And he's the one they're most worried about. So unless you're trying to call Bellos to a place... Well, maybe. He might need to know the specific combination that E.D. used to be able to fully... Mm. Well, Lilith just guessed. I-, I like how they actually don't show it happen because the pacing would have been all wrong, so a flashback was all we could get. Because mm-hmm. we've just had the big emotional finish of the A plot. We can't have an action sequence to finish off the B plot after that. Yeah. So a flashback was the only way that that made sense. The climax of the B plot was Ida asking for help, which I think was appropriate. I enjoyed that. I like Ida asking for help being like a consistent character trait that she has to work on. With both Lily and Ida. And Luz. True, true. You know what? Every character. And Amity. She did ask Gus and Willow for help, which was cute. Another thing about Amity and Luz that I very much enjoyed is how we get like a few episodes, like a good significant amount of episodes of Amity having like a more of a one-sided crush. Luz is just kind of into her own thing and doesn't really develop one until here which is where you can kind of see oh, the yeah. beginning of it happening like once again adorable Luz has that i think i'm in love look on her face yeah exactly it's like oh crap when when did she get so cool <laughs> oh shoot feelings yeah exactly like uh-oh that kind of bit i think this is maybe Luz had it for longer but this is where she kind of like noticed yeah where the hints become a little bit too big for even Luz to ignore so so this was the first episode where we got to see Odalia in the flesh, and I am happy to report that she is every bit the wonderful lady and just great mother that Understanding Willow implied her to be. Oh, I thought you were talking about her, like, character design, because I oh. personally love Alador's character design. I love me like a shaggy, wet rat beast of a guy. And who could also probably use some ADHD medication. Yeah, Alidor's kind of a role model. Odelia's a little uptight, but eh, whatever. And I like him. I like how he's not perfect, and I like how he kind of went with his wife's BS for too long, and he regrets that, and that you see that later in his arc. You know, he's not just her little minion. But I, I, think, I, I think I like Gus's dad. Doing the whole, oh, this Justin, <laughs> doing that to Gus. That would be so annoying if it was your parent. Yes, but when it's somebody else's parent, it's awesome. Yeah, it's really funny. I, the When you parents have like a hobby or a job that's like a big part of their life and you're like, oh God, you know, and they just are always super involved in it and it's like becomes part of your life because of course, which I like that touch. No, what what I don't understand, though, is the economics of life on the Boiling Isles that Willow's parents, her fathers, can afford to both of them quit their jobs to teach her full time. They can afford this. How? Is, is this some strange utopia that Philip has accidentally managed to create? I mean, they might have just, like, impulsively done so. I don't know. Maybe they had enough in savings. They were planning to get a tutor later on. I mean, it'd be great if you could, like, full-time teach and parent your child. Like, God, I wish I could do that with my future kids. But no, you have to subject them to the public school system. You'd figure you'd only need one of them to quit, though. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the both of them combined have, like, enough education. Maybe they have a lot of flyer derby money set aside. Maybe. I don't... What are their professions? Willow's dad's. 
Uh, well, let's see here. One's a baker and the other's a soldier. 300, baby. I had to get something out of that movie. And what I got was, what is your profession? Yeah, of all the 300 quotes, you know, the most quotable part. Nothing else in 300 memorable at all. Hey, the League of Legends writers get it. They get me. League of Legends writers? Yeah, whoever writes the voice lines for the characters. <laughs> oh, yes, I guess, I suppose. And they did have that show. Okay. Let's see. I, in this episode, I really, I was really touched by Bump crying when turning the kids away. And like, he had a scrapbook <laughs> of the them. the reason he was so sad. It's like, oh, it's so boring now. <laughs> he liked the troublesome students. I mean, it's a school for witchcraft and demonics. You know, like... And it's a good-natured sort of trouble. It's not like Basha or anything. It's like, they're just so enthusiastic about things. Yeah, and... <sighs> the detention is a giant, all-consuming pit that, like, wipes your memory of all shenanigans and naughty thoughts. You shouldn't get thrown in there until you graduate and you're looking for a job. The pit of despair? Yeah. Yeah, that'll do that. I just call that Indeed.com. This is a <laughs> negative advertisement, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, uh, I liked how he turned them away. I liked how he's kind of built a little bit of a liking for them because it kind of builds up to later in the season when he actually like sacrifices and takes risks for his students because of the influence that the others have had on them. Like he he allowed them to choose multiple tracks. He you know, defends them when the government comes a-knockin' and is willing to, like, conspire to not get their coven sigils yeah. or whatever. Bump's a very sneaky guy. I had a video about this very subject uh, this week. Ooh. I like how he goes from uh, threatening to cut loose up to just a guy who cares about his students, forget what Bellow says. Yeah, and, and and if they hadn't have had, like, this moment, that little montage in the show, like it would have felt a little less natural for him to sacrifice for him kids. So I do, I do like that. This is an important middle step on the road. Exactly. I would have felt disappointed if Luce had just gone straight to the abomination show off or whatever. Like I would have expected her to try everything else first. And she did. Yeah. And that was great. And it was very satisfying. Odalia was very, very careful with the way she worded everything. You have to help us with the demonstration. And then she specifies that, oh, the abomination won't stop until it's, you know, basically killed the intruder. So she has phrased it in a way where, see, I'm okay. Also, 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 like, in most places, there isn't, like, a stand-your-ground law where if somebody trespasses on your property, you can tear them asunder and not have any legal repercussions. Like, in most places, if somebody walks on your lawn and they get, you know, obliterated, that's a legal issue. You know, there's paperwork, there's liability. So, wanting to have something that very effectively, yet also non-lethally subdues somebody who's causing trouble is very good, because generally killing people causes more problems. Yeah, that was a very effective sticky launcher. I wonder why she even bothered adding a flamethrower to it. Although now that I ask the question, why wouldn't you add a flamethrower to something? Yeah, uh, come on, GC. Come on, GC. Like, one of the first modifications that people do to nerf guns is they make them, like, flamethrowers. Let me see if you can help me understand the private sale that uh, Blight Industries was holding. For one, at first Odali made it sound like we only do this once a year, but 
then we're just having one next week, and this isn't weird at all. It might be, okay, okay, it might be like a weekly, like a week-long promotional Eh, thing. You know, like Monday through Friday, every night, we're showing off these different categories. Or it could just be corporate doublespeak, you know, like, oh, this is definitely a normal thing, we're not doing this because we bombed the first time. Yeah. So, I could, I I don't spend too much time thinking about that. What I want to know is, this is a big, legitimate private sale, why is literally everyone here issued a cape and hood to hide their identity? These are all high society type people, she's not selling these to mobsters and gangsters. At least, I don't think she is. Oh, I think she was definitely selling it illegally. Like, let's be real here. Not, like, this was not legal. That's, I think, the the whole note from the Golden Guard at the end. It's like, I don't think the Emperor takes very well to making private armies. Like, they, this was very much a private audience that they were trying to keep under wraps, which is probably why they can pull the last-minute schedule changes, because they never told anybody the schedule, because everything was kept very hush-hush. Because, yeah, there probably are laws to, like, weapon sizes. I don't know. I just don't think a company that big... I mean, it's a subsidiary of the Abomination Coven, and we know that Darius is maybe a little bit more willing to flout the rules than a typical coven head, but I just don't think that they would be doing anything out-and-out illegal. You would you would hope. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I want to I wanna talk about this little bullet point in the trivia part of the Owl House wiki. Which I didn't know because I didn't. I don't think I started watching Owl House until after this episode aired. But it says this episode, along with separate tides, were screened at the Paley Center in New York for Pride Month from June fifth to June seventh, which is really funny. Hmm. Okay, I can see why they would screen it for Pride Month, but the separate tides. I guess because it's the first episode of the season, you have to include it. It's like you know what gay people made it, and gay people like watching it. It's good enough. <laughs> which is funny. Like, what was the the, what was the one where it was like, someone did, I think it was the Beach Boys or something like that. It was a song, and it was like, the Beach Boys trans rights. And someone in the comments was like, what do the Beach Boys have to do with trans rights? And it's like, oh, brother, everything, my man. And it was like, I think because you like it, it therefore qualifies as queer media is very funny. It's a very funny take to have. Where it's like, what what about this is queer? It's like, I am, and I like watching it, so therefore it counts. I think that's funny. A funny way of categorizing it. Well, at least, uh, at least, escaping expulsion definitely uh, really gets the ball rolling on the Lumity Express. Kind of mixing my metaphors there, if I may. It does. That's true. I mean, the Grom episode pretty much like they were obviously building up to that, and like after that episode, I was like, oh, okay. Like it's literally in writing that she has a crush on Luz. Yeah, I'm, I was a little surprised when they didn't immediately become a couple. I, I guess Luz is pretty thick, so <laughs> takes a little to get through that skull of hers. Luz didn't have feelings yet, which I said that I, I liked how it kind of developed, like in different stages. I know that Gus is the one who had the the voice change in this episode, because witch puberty apparently hits like a truck. But was I the only one who was listening to Luz's voice and... I don't know why, but this time that I watched the episode, her voice just felt off in some of these scenes. I don't know why. I didn't hear it. I'm, I'm certain that if I were to watch it again, it would sound normal. Oh yeah, she is voiced by Sarah Nicole Robles, who was born in 1991, which is 31 years old. Almost. And 
Gus is voiced by... Human puberty is tough, too. Yeah, I'm like, obviously it correlated somewhere. Like, they, if, the, if it was going to be somebody who could just do this on cue, they might have had more than just witch puberty. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Gus is voiced by Isaac Ryan Brown, who was born in 2005. Yeah. Good for him. Because I saw just on the, just today on the Owl House subreddit, somebody did fan art where, like, Amity has this huge growth spurt overnight and is now taller than Luz. And it it was only when I watched this episode, I, oh yeah, they had that line about how witch puberty goes very fast. So I guess growth spurts would be equally quick. I mean, to be fair, like, the way that most people's voice dropping kind of goes is that you have, like, a few weeks of, like, oh, your voice is squeaky now but it doesn't really change in pitch, and then you wake up, and it's an octave lower, but still squeaky, and it remains squeaky and wobbly for, like, maybe <laughs> another six months, and then it settles down. That's generally, like, the like, it really is, like, the the process of changing is more in just, like, everything settling down than the actual octave change itself. It's not like you wake up and it's like, oh, a couple notes lower, and then later it's a little notes lower. No, it's like, boom, you wake up, it's an octave lower. There you go. Ring-a-ding-ding, you're a king. Yeah, it's, um, it, it do be overnight, and if you had a summer vacation, or, like, a break, or even a week, like, that's plenty of time. Plenty of time. Mm-hmm. And he's taller, Fair too, as well, which is, um, it tracks. I guess the, the comic author noticed that, too. Yeah, it, it's funny, like, they, like, because obviously, you know, your voice drops whenever it feels like it. And so the, it's really funny, like, he wakes up one day, and his voice has changed, and he's like, wow, this is great, I'm, you know, becoming older, and also, crap, my job. <laughs> and the writer's having to, like, write around it, because they've had characters that, like, they don't want to age, like Gumball and Darwin in The Amazing World of Gumball have gone through yeah. some voice actors, because they keep on hitting puberty, but they want to keep the child voice actors. Tough life, tough life. Yeah, and, and... Sometimes it, it changes before you're ready, like with Steven Universe, like Zach Callison said that like his voice was changing and it was a pain to try and keep Steven's usual voice. Like you can definitely hear how it changes because when he first starts voicing Steven, he's pitching himself lower and then later on he's pitching himself higher, which very much changes the quality of his voice. I mean, it's about Steven growing up, so that works just fine with the character. Yeah, I mean, in future, but... <laughs> Like, his voice changing was very much like a story beat that they had planned for a specific part, and Zack's voice just doing what it wanted to do was something that was a bit difficult, because they couldn't, like, write around it. It yeah. wasn't going to work out. I think everything worked out just fine. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Escaping Expulsion. Join us next week. David should be back, so we should be able to start finishing up Season 1. Until then, though, I'm GC13. And I'm Sora, and leave us a comment or a review. Bye. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. <laughs>